Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Well, would you turn with me today to 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians, and we're going to be looking in chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, and we're going to start a brand new series, Conquering the Fear of Death. Conquering the Fear of Death. And this is just part one, and if you've read ahead of me, you know exciting things, deciding things that's coming. But we want to talk today about learning to look at life from God's point of view. Now, every one of us today is familiar with the subject of death. Death is a subject that all of us have to face. Uh, it's stalking every one of us right now, even as I speak. And one day it will succeed unless the Lord comes first in conquering its prey. But we as believers should never, ever fear death. You see, since the beginning of human life on this earth, man has feared death. You say, why? Because death and the fear of death are the consequences of man's original sin. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, it says, But from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God giving the command here, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall or will surely, what? Die. I mean, that was God's command. We have to accept that. The death that is mentioned here is spiritual death. We know that because when Adam sinned, he did not immediately physically die. He, but he immediately spiritually was separated from God. That's that great divide that we just heard sung about. However, the moment he sinned, physical death, which would launch mankind into their eternal spiritual judgment, began to stalk him in that moment. We see the fear that came upon him, knowing that he had sinned and understanding what God said, in the day that you shall sin, you shall surely die. In Genesis 3.10, God found him in the garden. And God said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. Or rather, Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. He heard God in the garden. And I was afraid. I guarantee he was afraid. He knew what God had said. He had disobeyed God. And the day he would sin, death would be imminent. It was because of this, this spiritual dilemma of mankind that Jesus Christ came into this world. There was no cure for it unless Jesus would come. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 16 is a beautiful passage to help us understand and to get into the message today. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and through 16. Actually, 14 and 15. It says in verse 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, 
He, speaking of Christ, also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that has the power of death, that is, the devil. And then verse 15, and deliver them through fear of death who were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now that little phrase, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, must be carefully interpreted. You have to look at it very closely. The devil did not have the authority over death. He had the power of death, the realm of death. This is, this is <laughs> let me try to explain it to you. The devil does not decide when and where a person dies. He does not have the authority over death. You say, Wayne, how do you know that? You make these statements. Can you back them up? Well, I'm so glad you said that. If you'll just read the book of Job sometime, chapters 1 and 2, what does he say to Satan when he's been walking to and fro on the earth and he sees him in heaven? He says, now listen, you can do this, this, and this to Job, but you cannot do what? cannot kill him. You cannot take his life. Told him that twice. What does that tell you? Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 39 says, and God speaking, see now that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death, and it is I who give life. And then in 1 Samuel 2, 6, the Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol, and he raises up. Psalm 68, verse 20, God is to us a God of deliverances, and to, the, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. So you see, even in the Old Testament, God had the sole authority over death. Uh, when it would happen, where it would happen, how it would happen. So God has the authority over death. He decides when and where death will occur. Now, if you've lost a loved one or if you're facing death this morning, if there's something going on in your body and you're facing the, the subject of death, it's, it's, it's a huge reality to you. You can rest in the fact that God has authority over that death. He will choose when and where it will take place. Ecclesiastes says there's an appointed time for a man to be born and to a man to what? And to die. An appointed time. There's no accidents God knows exactly the number of breaths we'll take on this earth. God has the authority over death. He decides when and where it will occur. Now, so what death then is the author of Hebrews talking about when he says over him, speaking of the devil, who has the power of death? If he doesn't have authority over death, then what's going on here? I don't understand, Wayne. Well, it's not as easy as you think, and, and, and we'll have to carefully walk through it. When Adam sinned, now understand this, when Adam sinned, there was created on this earth a realm of death, if, you, if so to speak, a realm of darkness. And it, it, the world was cast into a sinful state, and the devil immediately had dominance over it. Now, that's temporary dominance, but he's the prince of the power of the air. He has power over this for a temporary time because of man's sin. Uh, Romans 5.12, therefore, just as, as, as one man sinned, sin entered into the world. No, just as through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men. Every person born into this world is born into Satan's kingdom of darkness. He's born into a state of spiritual darkness. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2, talking about the lost state before a person's come to know Christ. He says in Ephesians 2, 1, 
and you were dead in your trespasses and in your sin, living in a state of spiritual death. This is the realm that Satan has power over. In verse 2, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And then he says in verse 3, among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. Paul includes himself, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now, Satan's domain of darkness, in this domain of darkness into which we were all born, is the fear of death and the subsequent threat of eternal judgment and condemnation. See, nobody knows what's on the other side, and that's a fearsome thing to people that are sinners. People live in fear of that death. They live in a realm of spiritual deadness that the Satan is dominant over. Ever since Adam's sin, uh, the devil has stood upon the justice of God. And what is the justice of God? Where there's sin, there's sin demands death. And then after death, the judgment. And that's been the fear that he's put upon mankind who lives in this realm of spiritual death. The context of Hebrews is showing how Christ, and if you'll study Hebrews sometime, he's greater than the angels, greater than Moses. It's in that context of who he was and why he came. He came to earth as a man to rescue men from Satan's bondage and from the fear of death. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Christ was born into this world with a human body in order to die. The death assigned to all sinners. He died our death upon the cross, over which the devil has power. You see, he died in our place, thus breaking the power that the devil rightfully had over all who had sinned in his kingdom of darkness. Hebrews says, to destroy him who had the power of death. The word destroy is not the word that means to annihilate. That's another word. It's, it's the word katergeo. Katergeo means to render powerless, to render inoperative. The devil has flaunted his power over the realm of death since Adam's sin. But when Christ came, he came to strip him of that power. Because of Christ's death and his subsequent resurrection, physical death and spiritual death is no longer an enemy to the believer. We don't fear death. We don't fear spiritual death. We now have a re relationship with God the Father. The great divide has been bridged by the cross. You see, his coming to this earth was not only to strip the devil of his power, to render him inoperative, but also to deliver us. He says in verse 15, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Christ died the death of all deaths. To do that, he had to be born the birth of all births, the virgin birth. He came to die. His resurrection from the dead conquered not only physical death, but it conquered spiritual death. Now listen, if we don't understand these basic truths, then you can't understand why in 2 Corinthians, when Paul said he believed, therefore he spoke, and the, and the reason that he was constantly being threatened with death was because of his boldness in his speaking and, and, and Christ manifesting his life in him. But death didn't scare Paul at all. Because Paul understood. He knew what Christ had done for him. 
He knew that death was nothing more than a threshold into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that. He knew what Christ had done for him. And he knew that one day he would be with him forever. Paul knew that when death ultimately claimed his life, that he would be raised, that he would stand before the Lord Jesus. And not only that, he knew that all of the converts in Corinth would stand there with him. He says in verse 14 of chapter 4, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For this reason, he didn't lose heart. Remember that word lose heart means to turn coward in the face of battle. He says, when, when I was out there boldly preaching the Word of God with constant threats of death upon my life, I'm not going back and doing it my old way. I'm not going to turn coward and run back because I'm not afraid of death. It's a win-win situation, Paul says. Listen, Jesus has conquered death for me. Jesus has conquered spiritual death. I have a relationship with Him, and I am not afraid. Perfect love cast out all fear. He knew His eternal destiny which Christ had won for him on the cross, would in no way hinder him going into the presence of the Lord at death. So he says in verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Oh, that we would live in a day when Christians would, would understand what Christ has done for them that Christians would understand that because they believe, they can speak. And even when the threats come, let them come because they understand Christ has conquered death. Well, I want to talk, start talking about today, and it's, it's just the beginning of a series, on how to conquer the fear of death. I want you to listen to this battered believer, the Apostle Paul. He has been afflicted. He's been perplexed. He's been persecuted. He's been struck down, but he never feared death. You see, we fear what we don't understand, and if we understand it from God's Word, then we will not fear it anymore. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit as we go through this to open your minds, open your hearts to understand what Christianity is and what Christ has done for us. From verse 16 all the way through verse 8 of chapter 5 and even verse 9, Paul begins to use some contrast. Now, anytime you're studying Scripture, you look for contrast. Uh, they're, 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 it's, it's usually saying something beautiful. It, it's trying to teach you something. Anytime you see a contrast, and it's filled with contrast here, so that we can understand how that we not, are not to be afraid of death. In order to conquer our fear of death, we're going to have to learn to start looking at life from God's point of view. Not from man's point of view, from God's point of view. And that's going to involve three things, and it's almost a progression here. As a matter of fact, it's not almost. It is a progression. It has to start with a pursuit. Precious little lady came forward last night and was so broken, and she kept thinking, I, I can't get it. I can't get there. And I said, you'll never get there. The Christian life is not an arrival. It's a pursuit. But it's a pursuit based on a certain understanding. We have to understand that we must live for the eternal instead of the temporal. We have got to somehow understand the difference between the temporal and the eternal. In verse 16, therefore do not lose heart. But then look what he says. But though our outer man is decaying, here comes the contrast, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Now I want to go back to, to an illustration I used, I don't know, a while back. I don't remember when it was. But let's just say that I had a huge blackboard up here or something, and I had a piece of chalk. 
And I start that chalk all the way over at that wall, and I just start walking all the way across to that wall over here. And that line that I just drew, that's eternity. Of course, it, it would be longer than that, but that represents eternity. Now, I want to I represent this life, the time I'm born into this earth and the time that I leave this earth through death or whether or not the Lord Jesus comes back. What does that look like on that line of eternity? It would be a little small dot. If I could put the dot on that line... Now, you need to see this in perspective. Eternity, eternity, and then that little tiny dot. It would be an itsy-bitsy, barely visible, little tiny dot on a line that never ended. That's our life from the time we're born to the time that we die. You see, and, and death is what's going to take us out of here. Now, Paul makes a powerful statement, verse 16. He says, therefore, we do not lose Heart. When speaking God's face, uh, or, or God's truth in the face of hostility, Paul was not afraid. Paul understood that dot. Paul wasn't living for the dot. Paul was living for the line. His eyes were far beyond the dot. His eyes saw what all of eternity only could hold. You see, Paul understood something that was deeply important for you and I to understand. He and his team that were threatened with death threats all the time understood the difference of the temporal life of the outer man and the eternal life of the inner man. They understood the difference. So instead of losing heart, he says, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Now, Paul is weighing his suffering on Christ scales, and it's quite a different thing. The word outer man is a believer's outer or outward physical life in this tangible world where he can see, touch, and feel. This, that's his outer life. It's his temporal life. It's his natural life here on this earth amid its surroundings. And because it's an earthen vessel, as we learned earlier on in 2 Corinthians, it's, it's subject to death. It's corruptible. It, it, physical death is a reality. James tells us in James chapter 4 and verse 14, that our physical life on earth is like a vapor that quickly appears, and then what? It vanishes away. It's gone. It's gone that fast. Paul shows us this temporal condition of the outer man by saying the outer man is decaying. It's decaying. The word decay is the word theoptero. It means to corrupt throughout. It means to die. Our outer man is dying. Now, of all the services, I think you and I, we understand this probably more than the rest. When you have a group of young people, they say, death, we're never going to die. Oh, yeah, you are. In fact, they're dying. Getting old is not for sissies, is it? I heard about the three ladies in the nursing home, <laughs> senior adult center, and uh, had several floors to it, an elevator and some stairs. But they lived on the second floor, and one of them, got, they got downstairs, they were ready to leave, and one of them said, you know what, I forgot my purse and everybody said, well, okay, go get it. And she went off to get it. She got upstairs, stayed forever. And they knew what had happened. She got upstairs, got in her room, and she said, now, why did I come up here? And she's trying to remember why she came up there. Well, the second one of the, of the group said, I'll go get her. Instead of using the elevator, she used the steps. She walked up to the landing between, between the first and the second floor. She got on the landing, and suddenly she had dawned on her. She said, am I going upstairs or am I coming down? The one that was left in the foyer there, she said, I'm glad I'm not like my two friends. I'll tell you what, knock on wood. Uh, excuse me, I'll be there in a minute, you know. Uh, 
We're decaying, folks. Have you figured that out yet? Like the old fella had his hair froed. <laughs> had a gold chain on. Had a good-looking young 20-year-old. He's 85 years old. Had a good-looking young 20-year-old on his arm. Walking through the mall, man. He was acting like he was 20 years old. And his heart doctor saw him. And his heart doctor said, come here. And he walked over and he said, what are you doing? He said, man, you told me to get a hot mama and be cheerful. He said, no, I said you had a heart murmur. Be careful. <laughs> We're dying, okay? <laughs> you know, if the people of the world could understand the temporal, the outer man is decaying. Paul knew and understood the temporary and the decaying condition of his physical body. Death was imminent at some time. In our context, Paul's foes were the very ones who perhaps, and would be later on, the ones who took his life, God knowing all of that. But Paul shows us the contrast between the temporal, outer man, oh, listen, we've got to get this, and the eternal, inner man of the believer. He says, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. The term inner man refers to our regenerate spiritual existence because of Christ living in us. By saying is being renewed, that's, that's, in, a, that's in a tense that means it's constantly going on. The Apostle Paul was a humble man. He knew that the Christian life was not an arrival. It was a constant pursuit, and there was something going on inside of him in the midst of the pain that he was having to suffer on the outside. The great Apostle Paul saw that his spiritual man was not yet where it needed to be. And I'm so grateful for that. Our inner man, he says, is being renewed day by day. Being renewed is in the present middle. Present tense means it's going on all the time. Middle voice means something is causing it to happen. Something's going on in the inside of Paul. In the, in the midst of his outer man decaying, something awesome and eternal is going on on the inside of Paul. If you'll take 2 Corinthians and put together what we have learned, Paul, by believing and speaking truth and by trusting God, in the midst of his sufferings, even in the face of death, by allowing Christ to reveal himself to him, changing him, as chapter 3, verse 18 says, from glory to glory was being renewed in the inner man. The outer man is dying. It's decaying. But listen, the everlasting life that we have in Christ, who is life everlasting, is being renewed constantly day by day. Paul was not blind to what was happening. Paul was allowing the, 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 the pain on the outside to cause something beautiful to happen on the inside in the midst of it. He knew that even though they might have to suffer death, so be it because the body's going to die anyway. The outer man is temporal. They were focused on the eternal, the eternal. They were allowing Christ to daily conform them unto his image. That word renew there in that phrase is the word anakano, which means to completely renew, change completely from within as they allowed Christ to manifest his life through them. So in the midst of the outer man decaying and dying, and the weakened vessel suffering all the pain that he had to suffer, he was allowing it to force out the life of Christ in him. And the less there was of Paul, the more people could see of Christ. He was focused on the eternal, not on the temporal. Now, I want to ask you this morning, what are you focused on this morning? There's so many of us that are so tied to this life that death is a fearsome thing. 
It's fearsome because we don't live for the line. We live for the dot. I've never seen a hearse yet pulling a U-Haul, have you? Not one time. But it's incredible how many people, John said in 1 John, he says, don't be those who would shrink back at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would a believer shrink back at the coming of the Lord Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because he's got so much invested in this life, the temporal, that that life scares him. And he doesn't want to die. He shrinks back even at the thought of death. Do you realize what he's doing here? He's building a foundation that's going to carry us to the rest of the book. In chapter 8 and in chapter 9, he's going to talk about, they're the two of the greatest chapters on giving you'll find anywhere in Scripture. And you know what the root is of people who don't give? It's because they're so fixed on the temporal, they cannot live for the eternal. And he starts it right here. Although he's going to be talking about conquering the fear of death, he, he uses that as a platform to carry us all the way through the book. What, what are you living for today? What is it that frightens you? There's some people more worried about Social Security going bankrupt than they are the world going to hell. It's incredible. And you see, if we're going to conquer the fear of death, we're going to have to start living for the forever, not living for the now. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Woe to him who hopes in Christ in this life only. We live with a focus that's beyond. And Christ turns our eyes on to see what's coming. And we begin to realize his life in us is eternal. And that needs to be seen through us. If a person's living for the dot, he's living for the temporal, for today, afraid to speak the truth of Christ, afraid of what might happen, afraid of death. You see, that's, that, that's the way it happens when, when you're not allowing Christ to renew you in the inner man day by day. But if a person's living for the eternal, allowing Christ to renew him day by day, in the face of hostility, because he believes, he speaks, and doesn't worry about where it falls, because he's living for the eternal, and he'll stand before God one day, that person, death is nothing to him. Death is just a transition from here to there. If we're going to conquer the fear of death, folks, we've got to learn that our pursuit must be the things of eternity, not the things that are temporal. We've got to learn that. Now, once that pursuit is there, and if the pursuit is not there in your life this morning, then you have no clue what I'm going to say from this point on. Only the people that are pursuing the eternal, only the people that are allowing Christ to, to manifest his purpose and his life within them, only those people can understand the second part of this, which Paul did. And that is a divine perception that we're going to have. You see, once your pursuit is aimed the right way, once you begin to pursue the things of eternity and not the things that are temporal, then you suddenly begin to grasp the difference between the momentary and the eternal. And this is so critical. Verse 17, he says, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Now, this verse is saying that something is happening as a result of affliction. Paul calls it the momentary light affliction. The only other verse that he has written that comes, it's almost an exact verse used in a different way, but has exact meaning, or different words rather, but has exact meaning, is Romans 8, 28. Most of us could, could quote that. He says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. 
Now, putting those two verses together, you realize that God is using affliction in Paul's life. What he called the momentary light affliction. He's using that as a tool to continue to cut Paul loose from the strings that ties him to this world and get his mind on the world to come of what the hope that we have. God causes all of this to work together for good. I don't know if you've ever been to Stone Mountain, Georgia, but if you're flying to Atlanta from the west and you want to land back toward the west, uh, you, it makes a big bank. And if you'll look down, if you're on a window seat, you can see this huge mountain. It's stone. That's Stone Mountain, Georgia, right outside of Atlanta. There are three figures carved into the rock there. For years, I thought they were presidents because that's what somebody told me. <laughs> they were Confederate generals. <laughs> and I had to learn the South dies hard. But it was Confederate generals. And a friend of mine was sitting in a restaurant at the foot of Stone Mountain, Georgia, looking up at that beautiful, those beautiful th figures that were carved out of the rock. And he said, Wayne, it hit me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, what happened, Bill? He said, when I looked up there, he said, I realized nothing had been added to those stones to make them look like the, the artists wanted them to look. Nothing had been added to them at all. But oh, look what had to be chipped away in order for the design to be what the artist wanted it to be. You see, the good of verse 28, which is exactly what he's talking about here in 2 Corinthians, the good of verse 28 is found in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, this is the purpose for all of us, to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so Paul had grasped this message. He understood that. He understood that he had to go through the affliction, the, the being perplexed, the persecution, the being struck down. And he, yet he calls it, the tools that God uses, he calls momentary light affliction. Now, how can he do that? There's a lot of pain in these words. Most of us would call it a dreadful load that we had to endure. Woe is me. Paul calls it a momentary light affliction. You see, when you grasp the difference between the momentary and the eternal, it's not hard at all to understand what Paul is saying here. The reason he could call it light affliction is because it's momentary. Something that is momentary does not last. It's transient. It's only for the moment. Moments keep flying away. But when you, when you compare what happens only for the moment and will not last, and you compare that with the eternal, what a difference comes in your mind and your perception. Whereas the momentary ends quickly, the eternal never ends. The word eternal is the word meaning that which is not affected by time. It's perpetual. It never ends. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. The pain, the rejection, the affliction was only a tool used for the moment to cause an eternal weight in glory. The word weight is the word meaning greatness in a figurative way, fullness or abundance. Oh, man. The more Paul was afflicted for the moment, the more the fullness of Christ was seen in him, and that is an eternal weight in glory. What the momentary was causing to happen for Paul would last for all of eternity, a weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Have you grasped 
the difference between the momentary that happens within that little dot on the line of eternity and the eternal which lasts forever. At the bema seat of Christ, Paul would stand before God and God's life had been manifested through him and all of the works that he had allowed God to do through him, not what he had done for God, but what God had done through him would one day bring him great reward. It was a weight of glory far beyond all comparison. You see, you don't get into that perception unless the pursuit is where it needs to be. We're not living for the now. We, yes, we live in the now, but we don't live for it. We live for all of eternity. And what we do, we know, is going to bear a, an eternal weight in glory. There's a whole different concept to people who are on the right pursuit. They have a whole different perception of what suffering and pain is all about. You ever thought about eternity? Just think about it for a while. Just, just, just think about it. Go home this afternoon, turn off the television set, sit in a chair, and sit back. And I want to think about eternity. It will blow you away forever and ever and ever and ever and ever as compared to the momentary temporal that many people are living for. That's the problem. That's why churches all over our country are falling apart. They're trying to meet people in the now rather than help them understand the eternal part of what Christianity is all about. Make them feel better. Make them laugh a little bit more instead of taking them to understand the purpose for which they've been saved to begin with. And physical death never enters your mind. Oh, yes, you don't want to leave your loved ones. That's beautiful and that's, that's very natural. But I'm talking about the fear, the fear of it. Why fear it? Because it's just from here to there. I mean, we're just in a dot. And this is what Christ has done for us. The pursuit, the perception changes when the pursuit is right. And that leads to a pattern, finally, that will develop. It will develop. You begin to focus on the unseen rather than on the things that are seen. Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, each of these contrasts build on each other, and we're only going to do these in these three verses today. Uh, each, uh, the, when we pursue the eternal, the inner man is being renewed instead of the temporal outer man, which is decaying. There's something more eternal going on. It affects our perception. We grasp the difference between the momentary and the eternal. We begin to realize even our pain is really not worth talking about when we start looking at what's ahead of us and the eternal weight of glory. Well, and that establishes a pattern of living in the unseen rather than the seen. Paul is continuing his thoughts from verse 17 when he said, while we look not at the things which are seen. Now the word look doesn't mean take a glance. It means to fix your gaze upon something and don't take your eyes off of it. It's the word scopio. It means to spy out something, to closely observe it. We get the word scope from it. Now I know some of you aren't hunters and just relax. I'm going to probably offend you, but I have a seven millimeter magnum. It's got a muzzle brake on the end of it because it has a composite stock and I put the muzzle brake on it because I can't hear anyway and it takes the kick out of it. It's got that stainless steel barrel and I got a stainless steel sc 
scope. That's the word scope is the word we get in English from scopio, which he uses right here. I got a four by ten, Leopold, scope. And you know, a hunter doesn't just glance at stuff through a scope. He fixes his gaze upon it. I mean, you're looking out in that field and you're thinking, hmm, that's a big stump. Oh, no, 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 no. Ooh, that's a six by six elk. <laughs> and you, you keep your eyes upon it. And that scope brings it up to where you can fix your eyes upon it. That's the word he uses here. Paul is saying that anything you can see, touch, and feel, don't even give it a glance. Fix your eyes on the things that are unseen. Anything that you can see, touch, and feel won't last. Affliction is only momentary. Pain is only momentary. It won't last. Get your eyes beyond it. Look where you're headed. But that which cannot be seen is what we focus upon. That which God is doing through that which you're going through. That's eternal. That's eternal. Get the big picture. There was an announcer for the University of Georgia. He'd say, now let's get the picture. Let's get the picture. When he announced a football game, get the picture. Get the picture. You see, when things happen in Hoffmantown, so often we're so narrow-minded, we focus on the temporal. We don't back up and see the eternal. What's the big picture of what God's doing? You see, that's the way you have to learn to live. God is always in control. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He has an eternal destiny for us. We're going to be with him forever. But, oh, God, the pain is killing me right now. Hang in there, brother. I live in you. I'll give you the strength. I'm the, vet. I'm the treasure inside of the vessel. You go on, but you keep your eyes focused on, fix, focused on me. Fix, them, fix your gaze upon me. That's the way Paul lived. Death was no big deal to him. Didn't bother him a bit because he had his eyes on something far greater. We must fix our eyes on the unseen. So if we're going to conquer the fear of death or see it conquered in our life, we must first of all start with our pursuit and the right pursuit. See, you're going to pursue something. If you're pursuing only that which is temporal, you are one worried human being in the 21st century. But if you're pursuing the eternal, that which God is doing, allowing everything in life to give you a perception. Let him, let him give you the perception of life and let him use life to transform you from the inside out. That's going to develop a pattern. And you're not going to just be bent out of shape with the seen. You're going to start looking for the unseen. What is God doing that's bigger? You see, I see what is obvious, but it's not the actual. I want to see what God is doing that's bigger than what's going on here. So in closing, are you living for the dot? Or are you living for the line? What are you living for today? Have we learned to live life from God's perspective? Has the pattern been set up in your life? If it has, glory. I'm encouraging you. If it hasn't, shame on you. I'm challenging you. Where are you in your walk? Where is your focus? And I'll tell you what. You can tell a man's focus by the way he goes out of here. R.G. Lee, who was pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, not as big as it is today, but it was a large church back then. Many people live under, remember R.G. Lee? Well, the day he died, he probably preached more sermons on heaven than any preacher on the face of this earth. And when he died, he was in his room, and, and uh, his daughter was taking care of him, and 
He cried out, honey, honey, come here, come here, come here. And she ran in the room wondering what in the world had happened. He said, do you see it? There's mama. There's mama. His wife had died several years before. He said, and he called her mama. He said, there's mama. There's mama. And then he said, oh, my, there's Jesus. And there's his daughter standing there, can't see what he sees. And then he said to her, he said, oh, look, heaven. He said, I, I've never done it justice. Oh, how awesome it is. And whew, went right out of here. You can tell a person how he lived by the way he dies. If he lives for the temporal, he's frightened, upset, and bitter till the day the last breath goes out of his life. But if he's living for the eternal, you know what death is to him? <laughs> it's just from here to there. It's just from here to there. You know what my heart is? I want to live a life that is so focused on the eternal that one day God can say to me in the midst of whatever pain I have to go through, Wayne, you're so much closer to my house. Just come on over because it's just from here to there. You afraid of death today? You afraid of death? Listen, Jesus died to remove that fear in your life. You shouldn't be afraid of spiritual death because it'll never affect you because you have eternal life. And physical death is not going to cast you into eternal condemnation. It's going to cast you, thrust you right into the presence of Jesus Christ. But your pursuit has got to be on the things that are eternal, not on the things that are temporal. Cut the ties. Let the pain cut the ties. Turn it loose and live for the eternal. That's step one in seeing a person conquer the fear of death. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.